Welcome to the Lair of Secrets podcast, a podcast about exploring the sprawling caverns of gaming, hidden treasures of geekdom, and the unexpected intersections of reality. On this episode, we're talking about generative AI as a tool in gaming. We're going to be looking at how the overhyped tech can assist both game masters and players. So what do we mean when we talk about AI, or what's the scope of AI for tonight's conversation? I'm glad you asked, Ken. <laughs> it's almost like, like you're doing before. it a second time. Like, yeah. Uh, Deja vu. I'm caught in a time loop. <laughs> All right. So here, so here's the thing. There's lots of things that they call AI out there that we we've had these things for a number of years, and we'll get. But for this conversation, the stuff dealing with gaming, we're primarily talking about generative AI. So the most common example of this would be ChatGPT, large language models. There are are many types of large language models out there. Also image generation, occasionally music generation, but you know, the kind of things that I think these are the most common things that we've touched on when we run into this. And we're not really, we're going to touch on video games and AI, but that's not, we're mostly talking about tabletop, I think tonight. Yeah. How we use it, how you can use it in your own home games. We've talked about the ethics of it before. Um, and I don't think we're going to necessarily go into the ethics of it because we're talking about personal use of it, not publishing it. Um, but if you want uh, to know the technical side, which is we're also not going to go into the super deep technical side, um, you can. I recommend Kyle Hills. He's a science educator on YouTube. We'll have the link in the show notes. He goes into how uh, like large language models like ChatGPT have sucked in huge amounts of text and then had lots and lots of math done to all of that text to effectively uh, and not a little pejoratively maybe, uh, but uh, effectively it's a very sophisticated autocomplete um, is uh, <laughs> is one of the ways to look at chat GPT. Um, but tonight we're going to talk about using it at your own table and uh, but we're going to talk a little bit about how we got here. Um, what is the role of AI in gaming history? Generative AI has been around a long, long time. There's been, um, we've been using it for for decades in games in particular, some simple games like um, like Eliza, uh, the, the the famous quote psychoanalyst from, from the 60s. Uh, Dwarf Fortress and Deep Rock Galactic use it for procedural uh, procedural level generation, environment generation. Um, Ubisoft's Ghostwriter AI helps scriptwriters in uh, creating um, NPC dialogues and such. So, you know, we've got these things hooked in already and the gaming industry, particularly video games, are going to be using this more and more. I'm sure you're going to begin seeing it in some of the games that are coming out. Um, but... You know, as far as RPGs, like tabletop RPGs, this is the first time that it's really been put into our hands. Unless you're talking about, you know, writing your own scripts for like oracles and treasure generation and, and that kind of thing. This is the first time that we can kind of bring the robot to the table and and have it do our bidding as a little, you know, a little uh, GM assistant. Yeah, and that that's kind of how I how how I view it is more of an oracle. You know, we had an earlier episode talking all about oracles and how you can make your own, having those random encounter tables, etc. I have used AI at the table to enhance my own creativity. It allows me to do things 
like generate NPCs, you know, generate some backstory that makes sense in the world setting uh, that I have been creating. It even helps with with world building itself. And we can go into each of the things that we have listed here. Um, I've kind of touched on them a little bit, but that that's how I've generally used it is both for prep and also at the table itself. Mm -hmm. I find it to be a useful off-board off brain. Um, you know, I, I will use it to check rules. Um, there's in my game, in my gaming group, there's a lot of discussion about the rogue sneak attack, which is not a sneak attack in, in 5e. It's, it's, it's taking advantage of a situation, but it is in no way a backstab or right. anything like that. But, but that's what you have been brought, you know? So we're always like, how does this work again? What is it? And so being able to, I really like the idea of being able to query a text. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Not just search it, but have something that is more of a conversational interface to do. And I find uh, ChatGPT in particular to be very useful for that, especially with some of the plugins that they have, um, where you can have it read a PDF and then you can query the PDF through it. Um, that's been very useful. Um, when when your characters, you know, take a left-hand turn into some area that you didn't expect, having it, I mean, you can do this with uh, some really great books out there. Like you could, you could have um, a number of things prepared, you know, random, random uh, taverns or, or, or plots that you can just pick up. But assuming that you are not that well prepared, um, having it be able to generate something. So for instance, I'm running uh, the Icewind Dale game, um, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, and I have. When I start the game, I kick it off and tell it, "I need you to be an expert in D and D Fifth Edition, and in particular this adventure, um, and gotcha. we're going to run this thing." And I will say, "Well, at this point in the game, they decided to go do this other thing and go backwards. How might I handle that, or what might happen because of that, or that kind of thing?" And I don't always use it, but it's it's really a kind of a kickstart like like it gives you some prompts like, right. like you prompt it but it's kind of a prompt right. for you like a writing prompt right exactly there's a little teamwork going on there yeah um, <laughs> and I, I I really appreciate having that intern you know to sit next to me and and help me out um, yeah so I've actually used it at the table as well. Uh, similar sort of situation, but in like a uh, like a clutch. I have no idea what I should put here because uh, so in the our side passage uh, adventure that we ran a couple Saturdays ago, um, I also run that same game at home. And so obviously everybody does something different. So at one point they're in a in a room and there is. Uh, they came in through a set of doors. Uh, they don't want to leave the, by those set of doors. And they're they there is a window, but they know there are gloom spiders, uh, which is something that ChatGPT helped me come up with as well, outside of that window. And they're like, we don't want to go through that window. And I'm like, well, those are the two only two exits to this room. And they're like, well, I want to start looking around for, uh, you know, 
because it's a, a Victorian steampunky type setting. They're like, I want to start looking around for like secret doors or secret rooms or anything like that. And so like I allow that there is one and I prompt chat GPT. I'm like, so I would like an alcove, uh, a secret alcove in a trophy room that has like a shrine in it. Um, can you tell me what's in that shrine? And it came up with like what's in the shrine and like a name of the deity that the shrine like this just completely not. This was not in any of the prompt history up until now. Um, it came up with a name for it, et cetera. And I allowed for them to to find it, to learn a little bit more about who owned the building that that room was in. Um, and then they would be able to kind of like smash through the back wall because uh, it was thinner there that they would be able to, to to leave the room that way if they didn't want to go out the window. And so all I did for that was I had the iPad there sitting to the side with ChatGPT already up with the, the prompt that I'd been doing this world building in. And I just asked it the question of like, hey, what's what could be in this alcove? And it gave me a couple couple of possible responses. I chose one and then it gave me some more stuff. And then so I took it from there and then added more to it as I ran for the rest of the group. Yeah, I, I actually just had this on Sunday night with my D&D group. We have my Elemental Apocalypse game. They just defeated the Fire Mage. They had retreated and realized that they might be able to get tracked back to their home base. So they wanted to find a place to hide. And so they made their survival checks and kind of on the fly. I was and the, it was the druid who was doing it. And I'm trying to make this kind of like this over the top setting where there's all kinds of weird stuff going on. Right. Elemental incursions and what have you. And so somehow we stumbled across the idea of an intelligent waterfall. And so I went into ChatGPT. I said, create motivations for an intelligent waterfall in Dungeons and Dragons. And then it spit <laughs> out, <laughs> spit out five one of which was Mysterious Lore Keeper. And I'm like, OK, I, I like this idea. Right. So I start running like that's pretty much how I used it. And I did like a little bit of I asked it for synonyms for waterfall. Right. So I could come up with something that sounded a little bit more interesting than just like waterfall. Right. Like I think it ends up being like the torrent of erudition, erudition, whatever, um, which we're just going to call it the torrent going forward. But in any case, like. Boom, we were very quickly able to just in the game come up with that. And like to Chris's point, you could have had random tables that would let you get to the same point, but it was all just a wee bit faster to just kind of whisper over to my little, you know, DM AI. Hey, buddy, got some ideas for an intelligent waterfall because I got to keep these guys occupied. <laughs> yep. Yep. Although now that you're talking about that, I want the fact that, uh, like, I kind of want to have the fact that it's a, constantly flowing waterfall fall that dispenses wisdom that it just won't shut up <laughs> stop generating stop yeah. generating yeah <laughs> um yeah, yeah it just some... it just keeps talking all the time giving little facts out you know very Battling hitchhiker's work. guide to the galaxy <laughs> Yeah. So another place where I used it, which was and I think we had this is one of our examples as well, was I, I, I struggle sometimes with building my NPCs, especially for D&D, &D because they can be so beefy. Right. Especially yeah. when you get to higher level things where and, and the tools like D&D &D Beyond is OK, but still there's just so many options. So I, I gave it the prompt. Uh, what is the optimum build for an eighth level fire based sorcerer for Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition? Explain your reasoning. Oh, and wow. Then, it talks through, OK, well, your, you know, your your 
species should be tiefling your class obviously sorcerer go with with sage because it's going to give you um these background uh proficiencies um you know these are the you should take firebolt um because it's a good reliable source of fire damage you should also take control flames for utility and flavor um and then it, it broke down at the other higher levels well you know like and it's a fireball is practically mandatory for a fire focused sorcerer right <laughs> and so it provided me with a fair number of inspiration a fair amount of inspiration but then i realized you know what you didn't include include a bloodline so i had to tell it include a bloodline right and so then it refactored it and included the draconic bloodline okay cool and then as i'm converting this into D beyond because again i'm not necessarily taking what it spit out because i don't i don't right. trust it and i think we we're going to talk about this some like it kind of knows the rules mm -hmm. kind of like a you know i'm trying to think of the right word it's like a rules lawyer that's willing to change its mind at as soon as you tell it to change its mind <laughs> yeah. yeah so it speaks yeah. very authoritatively about the rules that it thinks it understands but maybe perhaps does not so i'm like uh you know an, an eighth level sorcerer should only know nine spells because as I'm, I'm putting this into D&D Beyond, I see that it's not fitting together. Right. And so I was like, oh, I apologize for the confusion. You're absolutely correct. And then it gives me the math to how you get to the number of spells for an eighth level sorcerer. And then it regurgitated the spell list. Um, and so it was cool. Like the back and forth was helpful for me to get the inspiration for the character that eventually became the big bad sorcerer they had to destroy. Mm -hmm. Oh, that is, that so, is cool. That is really cool. I, um, I've used it for uh, puzzles and riddles. Um, I, one of my characters actually had it write a poem uh, that he recited as part of his character's thing. You know, yep. um, it's it's a useful brainstorming machine. I get a lot out of back and forth, you know, with people when I'm creating things, whether, you know, right. work or, or, you know, game creation, because I think we've all done game creation and such. And to me, this is just a single person version of that. You know, it's, and I, I, I talk about interns in a, lot, in a whole lot. It can be very confidently wrong. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, but, you know, I try to keep it in the vein of, you know, in a good brainstorm, there are no terrible answers. They're just, there's just data to be worked with. Yeah. And so, you know, that, that is one way that I kind of, kind of keep in mind what I'm doing. You know, you don't take all the stuff that it says and throw it straight into your game. You read it and kind of go, all right, I like this. I like this. I'm going to cherry pick that. And I'm going to expand on this. And you may go back to the tool and say, hey, expand on this a little bit. What did you mean? You know, and it, it doesn't mean anything. I think we've talked about it. It's not intelligent, but it it feels like it sometimes. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, and going into the it's not always right and uh, that you want to read things before you use them is uh, when I made characters, uh, NPCs uh, with some backgrounds for um, for the game. And I was also trying to do this. Uh, I was trying to do the Sundered Skies stuff as a one shot. And so I had it just build up. Uh, I just had it build regular characters. And two things happened during that process. One, when I was having it generate some backstories and, and interesting things for the actual characters, I was like, give me the Savage World character sheet for this. And uh, it, it did. It very confidently did. Um, <clears throat> but then going through every single character sheet, um, 
all of their like the number of skills that Savage Worlds gives you uh, was not the number of skills that ChatGPT gave me. Um, ChatGPT was much was a bit more generous than the actual Savage Worlds was. Now, as a one shot, I didn't care. And it was really like one extra skill point um, that that got added in. And and that was fine. Uh, but, you know, had I not looked at it and, you know, if this was some sort of really important thing, um, <clears throat> then that could have been a problem. Uh, but having read it, I was like, OK, that's good enough. I'm I'm fine with that. It's a one shot. I'm not worried about like long term game balance or whatever. Um, it'll be fine. Uh, the other part, though, was like I was making uh, NPCs and I was like, oh, can you give me a little bit more information here? Can you give me a little more information here? Um, and they're like, sure, let's let's talk about that. Let's let's uh, put some of your info in. And and here's, you know, a, a new, an updated prompt. And and we're going through. And suddenly my NPC's car- n- name changed. Yep. And sex. <laughs> like suddenly it went from a, a woman with a particular name to a man with a particular name. I'm like, what happened here? Um, when. I'm sorry, go on. I, I, I Supposedly, ChatGPT has gotten much better with um, hallucinating, as they call it, um, as the <laughs> as a prompt gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, but also, uh, you know, it it's while it is an AI, it is not built like a computer. So it technically doesn't know how to do math correctly right 100% of the time <laughs> like it will do it correctly but sometimes it'll do it incorrectly and be very confident that that's the right answer when we were creating our character for cyberpunk or cyberpunk game you know i was mm-hmm. using i was using uh chat gpt to help flush out apt and there came a point where every time i asked it about apt's past the names of the clans and the names of her parents. I mean, every paragraph it was changing and such. So it's, <laughs> that's, that's the kind of thing that, you know, and that's the thing you keep out, you, you know, it, it, this is raw material to play with. I, I yeah. don't know about you guys, but as I've gotten older, it is harder to summon the raw material out of my brain unless I'm going to blatantly steal it from a book that I have loved. You know, I don't I'm going to say this when I was younger, blatantly stealing it out of a book was perfectly fine back then, too. (laughs) And and, and it still is. But what I'm saying is, is that, you know, having the raw material at your fingertips, having it be able to give you this data, like for a fire mage or you know, uh, treasure for an eighth level dungeon that had giants or, you know, that kind of thing. And then you can pick and choose it, giving you options as an options machine. I yeah. find it to be really, really useful. And yeah. Um, like and I would say I would say <clears throat> that those uh, those options are great. And the fact that like pulling out that raw creative material, like I think when you enter the workforce and start having to work most of the time, instead of daydreaming in the middle of class during the day, you know, like your, your amount of free time and the amount of creative material, I think are like equivalent, you know, they're, they're equivalent proportions 
Um, and so with the loss of, of the free time, uh, you know, and, and having to do work or a commute or whatever, uh, the creativeness does tend to, to wane, uh, unless you really work at it. Yeah. And it's, it's a huge context shifting is huge too. I mean, we know this just, just at work with switching context has a cost, right. But like to go from, like you were saying, like working all day, juggling parents, juggling kids, juggling volunteer activities. And then all of a sudden it's like, I need to come up with a fire-based adventuring band for my elemental campaign for Sunday. Oh, geez. How am I going to make five NPCs by then? Right. Like I don't have like a whole like four hour. I don't, I can't stay up until two in the morning anymore doing that. Right. <laughs> and so I think that's where it's really helped. I am. But I like the, I like the, yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. Well, what I was going to say was like riffing on what Chris was saying earlier about thing, doing things that perhaps we hadn't done before, or we would have done if we had had more time or we only occasionally did when we had the time, which was like, Hey, I've got this innkeeper NPC and this are the things he typically says. Right. And so being able to ask the, the chat GPT, you know, spit this out for me. So I was doing this with um, I, I was going to have one of my encounters was going to be a battle between um, fire elementals and fire para elementals. Right. So, you know, earth, fire, earth, land, whatever, magma elementals. Right. And so I want part of the campaign is there's this antagonism between the elemental forces, which want to destroy the world and the para elemental forces, which are like mm, we kind of like creating stuff. I mean, we want to destroy it first, but like, you know, what have you. And so I wanted them to be able to generate insults. So I said, you know, create five insults targeting fire para elementals that the that could be slung at them and it came up with some 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 were stupid but some of them are like i've seen campfires that were more intimidated than you that's a pretty good insult <laughs> nice <laughs> you know you're so weak i bet even water could put you out right that's <laughs> that's okay um the funny thing and i guess this is you know we're, we're kind of jumping around in our notes but you you occasionally come up against weird limitations within chat gpt I had had it rolling dice periodically and then spontaneously for one of my chats, it decided it wasn't allowed to roll dice like that is a a, 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 a chaos. And like that is a, like a game of chance. I am not allowed to do games of chance. And so I cannot roll dice for you. But here's some resources where you can go and find to roll dice. <laughs> Wow. And then when I, I told that after I created the, the insults for the para elementals, I needed to create some uh, insults for tieflings because the para elementals were actually going to be fighting tieflings now that I remember. But he says, I cannot, I'm sorry, I cannot fulfill this request because it goes against OpenAI's content policy, which prohibits creating inappropriate or offensive content. So then I turned around and did the same thing for elves, create five insults targeting elves. It's totally fine with insulting elves. So. <laughs> Tieflings are a protected class. Tieflings are a protected class. I guess. <laughs> but it was great, right? Like, you know, um, it, it was certain like, and again, not all of them are going to be awesome, but I think it gets the ideas going. And like, you take that and you're going to twist it a little bit and add that little bit of humanity to it. Yeah. So we've talked about just now uh, some NPC dialogue generation. Uh, we've talked a little bit about world building. Uh, an NPC character generation. Uh, we've talked about some backstory for characters. Rules clarification. We talked about you do have to be like if you're going to clarify rules. I'm going to I'm going to have a little aside here, which is say, hey, let's do it this way. You know, it's kind of the whole we want to keep the game moving. Let's do it this way for now. And then we'll really look it up or discuss it later. That's because 
the whole math thing or all that kind of stuff, <laughs> the hallucination, who knows what ChatGPT is actually going out and doing it. So some of the other things that we have listed here is like scenario planning, the campaign backstory creation. Uh, I did some of that with Sundered Skies. I was like, I knew I wanted uh, a, uh, I knew I wanted something like steampunk meets sliders and or uh, Stargate SG-1. And so I put in some some stuff uh, about like how a portal had destroyed the 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 steampunk world, etc. But like, tell me about the country, the main this main country that the the characters come from. And so it gave me some info about that and uh, and some other some other stuff. It was what was funny is because of the way that I wrote the prompt, it was always writing about it in past tense as if it had already been destroyed, because that's the way I wrote the prompt um, to describe the setting. Um, and I'm like, and so it's like telling me a history lesson at this point. Um, and I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and I think, Ken, did you use it at all for your Elemental Apocalypse game for like the backstory? Or was that that was mostly out of your head in the first place? It was mostly out of my head. I think most of what I've been using it for has been NPC creation and then kind of riffing on some of the things that have come up. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I have thought one area where I've thought about because I've been trying to do oversized battlefields is using it to say, given four PCs with the following high level capabilities going up against, you know, an equal number of like what would be a valid threat for them in a burning forest or in a volcano or, you know, some other elemental themed type thing. And it and it's it's good at coming up with prompts for that. Right. Um, a lot of times it kind of returns to the same. Well, you know, it's like, yes, you know, as I tell it, you know, hey, I've, I'm, I've got this uh, fire themed barbarian. Give me three magic items for it. There's always going to be flame tongue because there aren't mm. that many a flame tongue sword because there's not just not that right. many magical items that are fire themed. Right. And it's right. not necessarily going to spawn new stuff without additional prompting. But backstory for me, the universe, I've, I haven't had that particular problem. For me, it's the, the actual day to day details of getting the freaking scenario ready to run on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I find myself using it as prep and taking that and using that time to ahead of the game to be able to modify what it gives me and, and to build on it. I don't use it very often like probably like two or three times uh, out of the number of games that I've run at the actual table. I, I will say one thing that I did do, which is kind of world building, and I, I think I shared this out in our Discord, was I told it to create a screen sheet for Cyberpunk Red that includes five stories of less than 50 words each, include the day's lottery numbers and three-day forecast for Night City. And it did it. Nice. <laughs> and nice. it wasn't bad. <laughs> right? Again, like you're going to riff off of it, but it, it actually came up with appropriately cyberpunkish um prompts based on what i gave it so that was i, I was impressed <clears throat> about what it generated so I've, I've but done, go ahead chris i was gonna say i've done some stuff um with my dresden files game so we've talked about this before but my dresden files game is in the dresden files world but it's based in cleveland which is my hometown 
And, you know, I when I when I sat down uh, recently to kind of begin to because you start a game with like a nub of a thing and then it, it just gets bigger and bigger as you go. I, I, I decided to go back and do some history and some scenario planning and some individual plot paths for the characters. And so I started with reimagine what you know about Cleveland Mafia history with the spin of putting it in the Dresden Files universe. What does that look like? And it came up with some ideas, you know, so some things that are, I'm going to, I'm going to say commonly known in Cleveland. And is, you know, just like all local history, you know, local history is local, but you know, it, it was able to suggest things that I probably would have landed on, on my own, but it has all the data there already, mm-hmm. you know, so I was able to take that and begin to flesh things out. And then you just begin to pull threads. Well, I've got this one guy who's in the mafia and, you know, but, but he's got a little bit of talent. How would that play with the winter court thing I have going on? And so, you know, and, and, and that kind of goes, and sometimes it's like getting a block of wood and, and shaving it down and whittling it down into something that you like, but yep. it's worth it to be able to get the quantity of first draft material. In your um, hands. Yeah. And I'd like to point out something that the two of you have done is when you've described it, uh, when you described the prompts that you put into ChatGPT, they were fairly descriptive, um, like especially like Ken's scream sheet stuff. Like it sounded not having worked in newspapers before, but it sounded because I know Ken has it sounded like an editor giving uh, like giving requirements out to, you know, uh, to people who are writing articles or putting together a sheet in the newspaper. You know, it's like, I need this much copy. I need this, you know, I need the lottery numbers on this particular page, et cetera, et cetera. And was, and was pretty detailed about the requirements. And then chat GPT was like, okay, I can work with that. Right. Absolutely. So just putting in like, Hey, design me a game about steampunk is not a good prompt. Um, It's not going to it's not going to it'll give you something, but it's not necessarily going to give you, uh, you know, it'll give you a very rough draft. Um, Whereas, you know, the better the prompt and the better your own imagination into that prompt uh, that you put will make for much better output. There's a. There's a concept in creative problem-solving methodologies in brainstorming called either it's forced comparison or forced pairing. It's when you take two things that are disparate, put them together, and ask people to kind of riff on it, and you get this material. I find that when I create prompts that have two or three elements that are disparate, it does a fairly decent job of pulling together something that I can begin to whittle down. Um, but, but being, yeah, but to your point, you know, make me a fantasy world is not nearly as good (laughs) as, you know, make me a fantasy world that's based on 13th century England, but also has the influences of, of, uh, you know, of of Tarzan or, you know, whatever. I mean, it, it you know, you gotta give it something to work with. Yeah. And it's kind of like how, uh, Jim Butcher, who is known to be, um, spiteful, for things that, uh, in, in a good way, uh, for things that are, that are like, of course I can do that. You know, uh, at one point his writing teacher told him not to write talking heads. 
And so the first thing that he did was go back and write Bob in the Dresden Files, which is a literal talking head. But he had the Codex Alera series because he was arguing with, uh, arguing might be a strong word, but was, was arguing with someone on the internet uh, and saying, I'm maybe even in a, in a, at a con. I don't remember the whole story, but it was basically the, it boils down to Jim Butcher said, I can write about anything. Um, and he's, and he's like, just give me, give me two things and I'll, I can write something about it. And one of the people went, sure. Uh, write about, uh, Pokemon and the lost Roman Legion. And so, and he's like, okay. And the, what is it? Three books of Codex Alera yeah. is like, <laughs> when you read it, it is definitely Pokemon meets the lost Roman Legion, but you're not seeing, unless you know that story, you don't see the parallels and it's a good mm -hmm. book. And so that that's kind of what you can do with ChatGPT is if you if you give it good prompts, you know, if you're being creative in, in creating your prompts uh, and detailed with it, you can get some pretty neat stuff out of it. Um, you won't get Jim Butcher out of it. I mean, you won't no. get Jim Butcher out of it. No, please don't. Please don't try and write a novel and submit it with ChatGPT. People have already tried to do that and they're not good. The stuff that comes out of ChatGPT always reminds me of the marketing intern. Everything is written. It's got an intro paragraph. It's got three paragraphs of supporting material and then a and then a, a conclusion. And it all reads like a marketing blog post. Yep. And so, you know, if you cut off the end and cut off the beginning and see what you can do with the middle, you might be OK. But do not do not <clears throat> look for it to do the writing for you. It can yeah. help with the ideas, but don't don't do the writing. Yep. Yeah, I'm curious. To, one of the things I've, th I've thought about doing but haven't actually tried is like take the stat block for one of my characters for my campaign and say, you know, come up with uh, an antagonist for this character or give me three antagonists for this character. One like one a physical based challenge, one a magic based challenge and one, you know, something weird. Right. And see what it gives me. Right. Like, say, mm -hmm. you know, you have to again, like I think to your point earlier right it's better to specify here is a character for dungeons and dragons fifth edition please review it now i would like you to generate you know and then it will it might get you something reasonable at least something that will provide inspiration that you wouldn't necessarily be able to do as quickly on your own we have we've covered a lot of ground no, we've covered a lot of ground. Um, we've talked to, we're moving into kind of the our, our last points here, but we were talking about challenges and limitations. I think we've touched on a number of these. You know, it, it, unpredictability, it can be nonsensical or inappropriate. Not inappropriate in a weird way, but just not, like it doesn't land. That right. <laughs> you know, um, it doesn't understand human emotions, obviously. It doesn't always get the context. So if you're, Trying to have it write something that is hooked into human emotions, you're going to get something flat and unappealing. That's okay. You may be able to salvage some things from it, but it, you know, it's important to note that even if you tell it to imitate one of your favorite writers, it's not going to get it right, and it's not. <laughs> gonna, it's not going to have the human touch. These things are these things are terrible authors, but they're great interfaces to to data um, yes 
Yeah. Uh, what other what other items do we have here? Um, we have a note here about the potential to overtake human roles. Current chat GPT is not going to be replacing your dungeon master anytime soon. It can't remember anything long enough. Um, but, you know, as these things get better, I can totally see um, someone training up a solo solo RPG based on this and, you know, using a large language model to help run the game. Yeah. I, I, I mean, not to get a, yeah, not to get technical in it, but like there's a little technical, which is there is a uh there's a bunch of open source models out there that are not necessarily as good as, you know, uh, ChatGPT, but, you know, they're free and they'll run on your home machine. Um, it would be interesting to see someone put something together that you could run locally um, that would effectively be uh, a solo RPG that you could, you know, talk back and forth with. I'm sure someone's going to do this. Some some college student. Um, with with more time, <laughs> yeah, I would know. I would, and, would and not GPU. be surprised if something like that's already out there and we're just not aware of it. Yeah, I have a lot of editing, by the way, to do for this because of the dogs. So, <laughs> um, and then you know we we didn't. I'm sorry. Go on, Ken. I'm sorry. Well, no, I was going to say we had a, a prompt before, and I think I think it's going to work best when humans are involved. Right. And it's augmenting. So I, I have an idea, like the beginnings of an idea that we were kind of kicking around on Discord about having a co-op Starforged game where you're using kind of collectively agreed to prompts or some sort of language that we're using to inspire it to say, hey, and now you as a solo character has encountered this particular place. And then you use chat GPT to generate some information about that, and basically serve in that Oracle sort of role, some sort of story happens. And then being able to come back later as a different player or as in a co-op mode and then have that same encounter in that sort of like, you know, spaceport type thing. Right. And so it's already been established, but we've documented it via, you know, a wiki or or, or some other tool because chat GPT can't remember Jack. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I think it could be cool in that way where you can it can enable new styles of play where, you know, the chat GPT is serving as an intermediary, especially when you're doing something DMless, right? I think it could just completely fail, but I think it could be interesting to like use a combination of those oracles that we've discussed previously, plus some inspiration from chat GPT, because it can write a decent description given appropriate prompts. Yeah. I mean, if you if you look at Starforged, like as an example, you know, if you are delving into uh, an ancient uh alien monolith uh there's there's a i don't remember exactly the name for the the oracle for it but there's an oracle that's basically like that you can use that category and then use chat gpt instead of rolling um so like right. if you if something has led you over to a particular oracle in starforge instead of rolling you could basically prompt chat gpt to give you you know mm -hmm. the next thing that you can use it as your Oracle. That would be, that would be interesting to do. Yeah. Or some interface between the two, like you roll the thing and then you say, I have this character. It's doing this thing. It's found this thing. Describe it. Yep. You know, yeah. Um, I, th <laughs> I, I think we're quite away from the, uh, the generative um, 
AI based uh what was it like the the, the game in Ender's game that Ender plays mm, yeah. that oh, yeah, gives that... him a series of challenges based on him in particular and it's very dreamlike and weird and and all kinds of stuff connecting back to the real world. Um, I think we're way off from that. <laughs> I, I think we are, but I think that it's going to things are going to be catching up faster than you think with uh Unreal 5. I th- is it Unreal 5 that it's one of the two big engines. It's either Unreal or... Probably Unreal. Maybe. I think it's Unreal. But they've got a generative tool that will generate landscape just by you dragging it within wow. the game. And it can do it programmatically. And yeah. With what uh, Adobe... I know, David, you've been playing with the Adobe tools that do some of this filling. And yeah. I don't... And I, I think that we're not too far away from someone deciding to make an AI-generated version of like a Zork or, a, you know, mm-hmm. some sort of text-based game that is potentially, potentially infinite. Now, that's not really a thing because it does go back to the same well all the time. But, you know, I'm thinking five years. Yeah, you know, AI you're, you're has, see has these things. AI has moved, and this kind of comes to our, our, our last, like, point, uh, which is ethical considerations, um, which I've talked about a lot. So I'm not going to dwell on a lot here. AI has moved much, much faster than I had anticipated. And a lot of people have anticipated. There was uh, Git, uh, GitHub's Copilot, which passed the passed our coding test for our company. And so like there was a bunch of different things that that happened there. And then ChatGPT 3 has been out for a while and then 4 3.5 came out and then 4 very quickly after that and that kind of blew up um Midjourney and Stable Diffusion uh for image generation has blown up. Some of the ethical considerations are what happens if people use this in a like a nefarious manner, but also what happens when people use this as a shortcut to hiring actual people. I actually saw a thing from the, uh, a a thing with the association of computing machinery. And the guy was talking about things like GitHub copilot and saying, if you average things out, um, that it was like, I don't know where he got his numbers, probably Silicon Valley, but it, it was like, $2,000 a day, uh, that's not what most programmers are paid, but evidently he thought so, um, was like, it's $2,000 a day for a programmer, but it's only 12 cents a day for GitHub Copilot. And he kind of advocated for like a project manager to prompt GitHub Copilot to write the programs. Why not spend an extra 12 cents and get an even better programmer? Instead of the replace the two thousand dollar a day with twelve cents. Speaking speaking as someone who uses who uses GitHub Copilot almost every day, it's not that perfect. It's handy, no. <laughs> but it's not. It, it, it cannot replace a programmer yet. Can will it be able to do so eventually? I'm sure it will. I yeah, mean, I, I have no doubt. But you know that a lot of these people are got a lot of these folks have something to sell. Yeah, you know it. It's, it reminds me of when Microsoft comes in and offers you a new tool and it'll get you 80% of the way there, except you've got to backtrack 40% because it doesn't do the thing that you need it to do. Yeah. And so, you know, but, you know, ethical considerations are important. I mean, we're, we're talking about this stuff for personal use. 
And people may have an issue with that. I mean, I know uh, Chuck Wendig famously called ChatGPT a plagiarism machine. And strictly <laughs> speaking, he's not wrong. I mean, and uh, I guess to some degree, I can be a plagiarism machine if I'm not paying attention. Or you know, <laughs> but I guess the the point is is that you know you you should you should do some thinking about this. You should put some boundaries around it. I have come across people on the internet talking about how you too can use this to write your novel and get it up on Amazon, and you certainly could. Yeah. But it's going to be terrible. Yeah. And I guess, it, I mean, I guess if, if making a few bucks is all that you're interested in, you know, you, you can't stop someone from doing that. Right. But personally, I think there's something to the human touch that it lacks so far. Yeah, it's I mean, it's one of the reasons why the Writers Guild of America and a little bit with SAG-AFTRA, that's mm-hmm. some of their some of their demands in their uh in their negotiations is around AI. Um, yep. You know, uh, the secret invasion, Marvel secret invasion, um, the intro is made by AI. It's a really cool ish looking intro, but like the director uh, who I believe it was the director who uh, basically commissioned it, didn't really know anything about AI. And so mm-hmm. it's like, doesn't, you know, since there's so much of that image generation AI that is trained on people's copyrighted artwork that have not been compensated for that copyright. Yeah. I mean, I said I wasn't going to go delve into ethical <laughs> considerations too much, but here this I am. A, a, <laughs> um, I, I do suggest that that AI is here. It's going to stay. We need to, you know, it's it's kind of like the. um the Luddites, they didn't throw their shoes into the weaving machines to stop progress. They wanted to slow it down so that people would think about how we're using it. And so think about how you're using the AI. Think about could it hurt people? Could this be a problem? Um, but if I think if you're using it at home with your home group, I don't see a problem really at this point. I'm going to I'm going to make sure that, you know, as all humans do, we can change our minds. But right now, I don't see the harm in using it to increase your entertainment at home when you're playing with your friends. So I I, I recommend it. I'm going to continue to use it at home, at least. We've got a couple of articles as well that we'll attach in the show notes about uh, similar stuff like this, which is using ChatGPT and other AI pieces uh, like maybe MidJourney uh, to be an assistant dungeon master, which is what we've been talking about here. Does anybody want to put any last minute things while my dog barks outside? <laughs> you know, I can, um, I'll say a little bit about what my, my dream would be. Cause as I've been working with it, I feel that I almost want, I want uh Scalzi's brain pal from like the old man's war, the original book, mm-hmm. right? Like, I find myself and I get that there's this is a dangerous road, but I, I feel like and we're not there yet. But I think to your point, Chris, we probably will be very, very soon where you want that like AI assistant that's actually helping you out. And like you're sitting down at your desk and you're like, OK, Hal, we're going to go work on an elemental apocalypse. Get ready to talk about it. This is where we left off. And then just like, boom, it's getting the context of where I'm currently at and working with. Now, I get a little bit of that from my chat 
conversations with ChatGTP, ChatGPT. But, you know, it's not seamless yet. It's not the sci-fi future that we anticipated or have been looking forward to. But I think as we've discussed in previous times, perhaps even online, is, yeah, we didn't necessarily think through the consequences of that (laughs) and where all of that stuff was coming from. Yeah, it's it's too easy to go from utopian ideals to actual dystopia. There are dangers here and there's a lot of conversation. We don't have to talk about it here. <laughs> right. Probably a, it's a separate show in and of itself, but you know, you're either going to get fully automated luxury communism or a, a William Gibson novel. And I don't think there's a whole lot of room between the luxury communism. I don't think I've ever heard that term before. Um, it's I a, like it. it's a, it's a book I'm reading right now, but I mean, let's face it, Star Trek, the Gene Roddenberry Star Trek yeah. future is fully automated luxury communism. Yeah, no, I would agree. I would agree, which is funny because there's so many, there are friends of mine who would totally disagree with communism, but absolutely love Star Trek. And I don't think that they realize, <laughs> you know, the difference there. What I will say is, uh, you know, if you guys want to talk about the ethics of it, or we definitely want to hear ways you've used it at home, please send us feedback. Thanks for listening. You can send feedback to podcast at layerofsecrets.com. You can, this will be on YouTube. You can put it in the comments section over there. Uh, We're mostly over on Mastodon, dice.camp slash at layer of secrets. That's probably the best place to put any uh, any feedback because uh, we'll actually see it more quickly and be able to respond and actually have a conversation. You can also visit layerofsecrets.com, which is the main base of our layer. Uh, and you can leave us feedback, topic ideas, and find all the other social sites that we exist on over there at layerofsecrets.com. Thanks, everyone, and have a great day.